0: are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. Hello! Today on True Crime Fiction, we have Dee Parkin, who is Secretary of the Crime Writers Association Gee, could you tell us a little bit About what the Crime Writers Association does?
1: Yes, um, hi um, I'd love to tell you about it um, we support writers, crime writers of all kinds. Crime's a very broad church, and the association is, is for crime writers, but also we get people such as literary agents, um, publishers, and um, sometimes editors, but uh, most of our membership comprises authors. It includes um, writers of non-fiction through crime. I would guess the majority is fiction. But that's crime fiction of all kinds. So we're talking about psychological suspense, police procedurals, amateur detectives, historical novels, thrillers, spy novels, what are called cosy crime, just Everything that can possibly be, be classed as crime, everyone's welcome. CWA is renowned for the daggers. They're awards that we give for crime writing every year. And you might have seen the labels on books saying that it's the proud winner of, for example, the Ian Fleming steel dagger or the gold dagger or even the ALCS gold dagger for nonfiction. fiction um, we, we have um, 11 in total, of which the diamond dagger is the most prestigious.
0: And that's how I actually came to know the Crime Writers Association myself. As a fledgling writer, I entered the Debut Daggers, which is for people who don't have a publishing deal. And I was long-listed for self-help for serial killers. And for me, that was such an amazing boost And it really lifted up my confidence in myself because I think writing can be a very solitary pursuit. And sometimes you're working away on something and you think it's good, but you don't know if other people are going to think it's good. And you don't necessarily get a lot of feedback. So for me, Entering the debut dagger was a really brilliant moment in my writing career and it definitely helped me when it came to getting an agent as well. I would definitely say if there's any listeners out there who are sort of writing their crime novel and they're just not at the stage yet where maybe they're going to publishers, that'd be a really good thing to look at the debut daggers and to think about entering that. How do writers go about entering their books once they're published?
1: Um, Just to address one thing that you said there earlier, uh, we do also run a a criminal critique service so that you can get feedback before you actually enter it, which a lot of people do. Um, Yeah, you can either enter the full novel if you've written it or just a part of it, Or we even offer mini critique for the debut dagger entry specifically for that length, um, including the synopsis, which people do find useful sometimes. They want a bit of a guide or maybe there's something about it they're not sure about and and they they can ask for specific help with that. But yeah, the debut dagger competition. Very glad to say that every year we have agents picking up most people who make the shortlist, uh, including the winner, of course. And so that's good. Very often people on the long list as well, as you know, Uh, which is great. It certainly does make the literary community sit up and listen, I think. So agents and publishers, they're all sent the short list after the competition so that they can actually see the quality of work. And as I say, people do get representation. And go on to get a publishing contract, which is great news. All you need is the first three thousand words of your novel and your fifteen hundred word synopsis, which is quite generous. We want it because obviously, with only the three thousand words of the actual novel, we we like to know quite a lot about what's going on. And it, and it's important you get the synopsis right as well. That you do tell us everything that happens in the in the novel in in synopsis form, and that you don't leave us hanging in the air with teasers. It, it's not meant to be a blurb or anything. We do advise people to you know, have a good look on the net and find out what a synopsis is because it, it does form quite a big proportion of the actual scores. So it, it's worth finding out and it's worth getting that bit right. And then you simply send it in by the last working day of February. Every year, there's a process on the CWA website and it goes through everything with you. And it tells you all the rules. Simply, you haven't had to have had a novel published before or self-published and you mustn't have an agent at the time the competition closes. If you get one afterwards, that's fine. We ask you to let us know, but that's fine. If you should, if you were lucky enough to get a publishing contract before the competition closed, I'm afraid that would make you ineligible most people enter and then they get their, their agent and their con- and their contract so that works out pretty well
0: and it would be a happy ineligibility as well because you'd it you'd, would be a very it. happy ineligibility. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was thinking as I said it I really shouldn't talk about negative things here and then think yeah but it's not negative you not I'm getting a contract that's what we all want
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely like it might be sad to not to have to withdraw from the competition but overall it's quite a good thing if if you have to do yeah. that really, isn't it? What sort of writing do you think works really well for the debut daggers? Would you say uh, it could be anything at all? Or is there a certain... Do you see any trends coming through in, in what people are submitting?
1: But we don't really see trends in terms of the debut dagger. We always get quite a wide range there, and, and that's as it should be, I think. You know, we we don't want to say to anyone, oh, you shouldn't be writing that kind of crime. But I do think there are some things that it's worth bearing in mind when you enter. Um, certainly that you should try and get quite a lot of action if you can, or at mm-hmm. least a lot of tension, a lot of suspense, maybe pose some questions in those first 3,000 words. You don't want to submit a novel That's a very, very slow burn, not for a competition like this where it's judged on the opening. There's nothing wrong with that at all, of course, generally, but I think for a competition like this where it's judged on the opening, the more you can get up front and hit us with, the more impressive it's going to be.
0: I imagine it's quite a big task to read through all those entries. How long does it take? Well, we have
1: a team of readers. It's not just one person. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, we have um, a team of readers from the CWA um, who are are all published authors themselves and many of them, you know, many times published. A lot of them um, do editing work and so on as well. So so they're qualified, well qualified to read. And we have a scorecard and we have eight criteria which i think is really important because otherwise you know it just becomes too vague doesn't it the entries are marked out of out of the the eight criteria 20 points for each and then we we put together an excel spreadsheet (laughs) uh, with with all the scores entered and and obviously the the names of the entrants are are kept hidden and um, nobody sees those and so it does just go on the title and the scores and and then we we assess the long list. Um, what we tend to do is look not just at the top ten or, or sometimes twelve, um, but we also look below to see whether there's been whether there's been um, a large divergence uh, between two readers because two readers read every single entry. Oh, uh, I right. think that's the only, only fair way. So it, it balances that because obviously what what really appeals to one person might not appeal to another. It it, it is inevitably. Subjective, even though you have the score sheet. Um, so where we see, you know, in the, in the top hundred entries or so, um, if we see that, you know, there's a big discrepancy where one reader has marked them fairly low and another reader has marked them at a high enough level that they would be posted in the long list, then we get a third read on that. And that's, that works going on at the moment. Once we arrive at the, at the long list, they're sent through to the actual judging panel. And that comprises a couple of um, major major publishers and agents and a best-selling author in Lewis.
0: It sounds like it's quite an operation to keep that running Ooh. smoothly because you're not just doing the debut daggers, you have all the other daggers and there's a short story prize as well, isn't there? And that's
1: open to anyone, the Marjorie Allingham uh, short mystery competition something that we run in association with the Marjorie Allingham Society, and it runs at about the same time, calendar-wise, as as the debut dagger. So again, um, it opens in autumn and it closes the last working day in February. Again, we're just putting together the long list now. And that's for a short mystery, we, we like to emphasise, that follows uh, Marjorie Allingham's definition of a mystery with a crime and a mystery and an inquiry and an element of satisfaction in the conclusion. And that's scored as well, according to that and plenty of other criteria. And that's open to to anyone, uh, whether they're published or not, as long as the story itself hasn't been published. That's all we ask. And there's a a £500 prize for the winner um, just as the risk for the debut dagger I didn't mention that the uh, Marjorie Alleyone winner also gets uh, two passes for Crime Fest for the following year and um, the winners actually announced at Crime Fest one year and they get the pass for the, the following one and we've got three at the moment who are sort of queuing up for this year's Crime Fest, because for the first time it's taken place for three years because of the pandemic so that'll be good
0: Yeah I was I was going to ask you do you think the pandemic is going to have an effect on crime writing and have you already started seeing books coming out which are set in pandemic times?
1: Generally um, books that are now published yes Um, a lot of um, writers have tackled it head-on because of course there was a big debate you know lockdown was so foreign and strange to everyone and at first I think writers were very shy because they didn't really want it to date their novel if you like and also of course lockdown in itself uh, prevented an awful lot of action going on yeah. <laughs> um, in a book, you know. And authors have decided that either they would avoid it altogether, and you know, not set their novel um obviously in 2020 or 2021, or are they tackle it head on and they'd actually come up with a novel that's set in pandemic times uh, with lockdowns and everything that goes with it. It is a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading some of those. I think there was a particular atmosphere. I think we're, we're sort of already out of it now, and and already we're you know you have to look back to think how did it feel then when we were first told that we we couldn't go out for for more than an hour for exercise, and you know we couldn't go and see loved ones, we couldn't have Christmas with them, we couldn't go and see our our older loved ones in care homes, we couldn't go to weddings or funerals. There's an awful lot to it that I think we're already very quickly forgetting, and I, th- I think that. Novels of all kind, not just crime, will be interesting to to revisit those two years, which are going to stand out in everyone's lives, I think.
0: Well, I hope nothing in my lifetime takes over as being bigger than the pandemic, that's for sure. But there's not, when you think about it, there's an awful lot of novels that get set during war times. But there's been pandemics before, but there aren't many novels about pandemics. So I wonder if this might be a pandemic where there's much more writing about it and much more things set in the pandemic times, because it's been a very collective global issue, because we are able to communicate with each other in ways we've never been able to communicate before, which means that we don't just know what's happening in our own wee bit of the world. We know what's happening everywhere now. Mm. And I think that changes how we experience things like pandemics. It's not It's not easy to just sort of squirrel away in your own home and pretend nothing's going on out there anymore. So, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that comes through into writing. If I could kind of go back a little bit to the Marjorie Allingham prize, for listeners who've never heard of Marjorie Allingham, could you tell us who she is? Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, she was one of the Golden Age writers, uh, Marjorie Allingham, a contemporary or near contemporary of um, Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. And her, her hero was Campion. There's still an awful lot of her books available out there if you're interested in looking at them. Um, I think Tiger in the Smoke is probably the best known, but a lot of people really rate her work. It tends to be a little bit cozier, that's oh. the right word than either Christie or Sayers. I mean Sayers I I think is was perhaps one of the first uh, novelists to write um issue driven novels. You've only got to read Gordonite to realise that. And I think I think she was very interested in the world around her and her crime was part of it. But she used the crime to illustrate the world. Whereas Marjorie Allingham was very different, I think. Her crimes are absolutely at the heart of her novels. Um more similar to Agatha Christie. Of course, the Detection um, Club was set up um, to, and that catered for a lot of the serious detective writers, um, such as Dorothy L. Sayers and Agatha Christie. Um, and then, in 1953, of course, um, the Crime Writers' Association was set up, which was which was more focused on on giving benefits um, to member writers um, rather than. Uh, you know, more of a, a gentleman's club, which Detection Club no longer is. I mean, it's evolved from that, but it's still got social events at its heart, whereas the CWA is, is quite different.
0: But it's, it's quite interesting. So when you talk about the golden age, you immediately listed three women writers. And one of the things I'm always very interested in is the sort of the intersection between women and crime and how people always seem to be surprised that women are interested in crime as well. But, That just made me think, this isn't a new thing. This is actually, Women in Crime has been around for a very, very long time. So maybe this sort of surprise that, that women are interested in crime and want to write about crime and write about, you know, things which are quite violent and upsetting in a lot of ways is a bit old-fashioned,
1: really. <laughs> I, think, I think so, yeah. I must admit, I haven't thought of that for a very long time because, you know, so in, you, in the in the sort of crime work, crime publishing world as I, as I am, I'm so used to women being, you know, at least 50% and very often more, and these days you're seeing their names more and more on on. The long list, short list and, and, you know, and the trophies for awards as well. I think there's always been, obviously, female writers of, of crime fiction and nonfiction So And I think that's, that's been recognized more and more. And I, I think, I think that, yeah, we've, we've got over being surprised about that. We? Yeah. <laughs> I think so.
0: So yeah, in the, in the last few years, true crime podcasting has taken off. Immensely, and I'm beginning to see books where you have a true crime podcaster as the protagonist, which is really interesting. Seeing how the fiction is following real life, but when true crime podcasting first started taking off, the the consumption is about seventy percent women, and there was a lot of people who were like, "Why do women like this? Why do women like this?" And they were very panicked about it, like almost trying to like find out some deep sociological psychological reason. Why women were so interested in in true crime, and I was like, I think the bigger question here is why do you think they shouldn't?
1: (laughs) So, wind back a little bit, just just to go back to the 1930s, because you were asking about trends before, and I have noticed that there are more and more books, more and more crime crime novels that are are set written now, but set in in the so-called golden age, um, in the 1930s in particular. Um, And I think that is quite an interesting trend. I mean, I do think, I mean, we've all heard, haven't we, comparisons between uh, the political situa- situation in Europe, you know, how have unfortunately got quite similar between now and then. And I don't know whether that has anything to do with it or whether it is simply uh, the popularity of the Golden Age writers. A few years ago, I don't think there was the same interest in, in the Golden Age writers that there is now. And now, as I say, not only have we got the interest in those books, for example, the, the British Library Crime Classics series has reissued so many, but also we've got an awful lot of, of very good and um, notable uh, contemporary authors set, writing Golden Age style uh, novels and setting them you know, in the 1930s. And sometimes their, their golden age style in that they've got their mystery at the heart of them it doesn't make them cosy at all. It can, they can still be, you know, quite violent, quite upsetting even. They have got that element of mystery, which is, which is rather nice. And I must admit, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of that, more and more people definitely novels at that time and, and some really good works coming out of that. So that's an interesting trend.
0: That's really interesting. I wonder if there's some, some sort of nostalgia in a way for a, a more innocent time. I know certainly sometimes contemporary novels I can find, I'm not going to mention anybody, but there's one or two which, particularly when they're dealing with crimes with children and they're very contemporary and immediate, I've found them very difficult to read. Not because the writing's bad at all, but just because that kind of crime against very, very vulnerable people is hard to read. And I think if you set it in the past, it maybe allows you a bit of distance from the mm. crime in a way that a contemporary crime like that doesn't give you the same sort of psychological distance. So yeah. I wonder if there's I something new I
1: don't agree with you. Oh, that's okay <laughs> Not everybody uh, has to agree with me. I'm, I'm really sorry. No, I, I I don't find when I'm writing a novel that's set in another age, I don't get that distance. I might do if it was written then. Because then the, the whole style and everything about it tends to be different but the ones that are written now but set in in any in any historical period you know whether it is the 1930s or, or the 1640s then find them just as involving and at times you know they can be quite upsetting and I don't get that air of innocence at all but that's not to say that they've not evoked the period I think we've got to think as well with his with historical fiction that Whenever you live, if you live in, you know, in the 1540s or, or, or whenever, you were at the very peak of modernity. Yes. <laughs> and I think we tend to forget that because we always look back with that long lens, don't we, at history? And we always think, oh, you know, that's a long time ago and things were very different. Sure. But at the time, it was, it was just as now is. It was, it was very contemporary and it was everything that was happening. And I think the authors who can bring that feeling to, the, to their work really do a good job. Because oh well yes, the world is 1930s or 1540s or whatever it might be, the actual characters and their experiences are very contemporary in the sense that we can completely relate to them. And I think that's where you get a successful novel.
0: That is really very interesting. I love a bit of historical fiction. Whether it has crime in it or not, I really enjoy a good bit of historical fiction. And it's something about the place and time and sort of capturing a moment in history in a way that you can you can go back in time with a book, you can time travel with a book and experience the world in a different way, which I think is kind of a bit of the magic of what books do, really. It's an interesting thought. I guess everybody probably comes to historical fiction looking for maybe different things as well. But I totally agree with you about everybody thinks they're at the peak of civilization. I was listening to something about science the other day and they were talking about how at the beginning of science when it started really becoming a thing and something people studied and learned and they were developing what science means and how you go about science all the scientists at the time were sitting about going oh we feel so sorry for the scientists of the future because we've discovered everything yeah. and there's nothing left to discover and I just thought that is so human and foolish you know that we always
1: we're making the same mistake today
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we always think we're the peak and no one will be as good as us but Mm. you know in a hundred years people probably look back and be shocked at some of the things we do now and goodness knows what's going to be shocking yeah I think that was a really good point so you've talked quite a bit about mystery and I was wondering how you would define mystery as opposed to crime i'm always interested in sort of genre and subgenre, and particularly where the lines may be a little bit blurry between them as well yeah
1: the lines are very blurry i think mystery is where the huge the unknown is the largest element of the story mm. so whether it's trying to work out who did it or whether it's trying to work out whether perhaps you already have a good idea who might have done it but you're trying to prove it that's sort of the essence of it and you you gradually discover uh different elements to to what's gone on that throws more and more light until eventually you have you have a complete jigsaw wine can definitely comprise mystery and an awful lot of crime books have have mysteries at the heart, even if you wouldn't actually call them a, a mystery novel. Crime can be anything. You know, it can be high octane thrillers, you know, in, it can be James Bond style, it can be Mick Heron style, Belinda Bauer, Al McDermott, you know, Anne Cleves. I, I can come out with lots and lots of different names, yeah. obviously. I can go forever. They they tend to have more to them than just the mystery. If the mystery is there, probably. Only a small part, but the the other larger parts are perhaps either action or I mean, even spy novels have got you know a lot of mystery to them. Very often, and because there it's usually a case of things not being as they appear to be. Gradually, you know, pieces are peeled away bit by bit until until we see the true picture.
0: That feels right to me because I think you could possibly have a mystery without a crime, but I'm not sure you would always do crime without a mystery. Would do
1: you yeah. say that's accurate? Yeah, I think very very broadly speaking, yes. You definitely can have mysteries without without crime, and some of what we call cozy crime just sort of go into that a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty good. The Crime Writers Association isn't just for crime writers, though. You do also have a crime readers group, don't you? Oh, uh,
1: we have the Crime Readers Association, which is is different. And we have a, a website um, with blog posts and short stories um, and news and events. And also we have two publications that go out from there. Um one's the CRA newsletter um, that goes out every month. Now, that's a really good thing to subscribe to if you want to keep up with the latest in crime fiction. And, you know, you're talking about trends before, and that's a really good way to, to keep an eye on, on what what's happening. Because although it is varied, all the articles are submitted by, by members of the CWA. So you do get that variety. But you can also, I guess, see, oh, oh you know, there is a trend towards 1930s novels or, or whatever it might be um historicals in general perhaps. So it's interesting from that point of view, but it's just great to see, oh yeah, I really like the sound of that book. Yeah, we can all pick up a book and read the blurb or we see it on Amazon or whatever and read the blurb. But there's not always a great deal of detail. Whereas um in the newsletter we actually it's the author's writing and they they're generally not blurby. They're not writing specifically about that particular story. They're writing about maybe a theme that they explored in that in that or about how they came to write it. And that's fascinating. And I think all that kind of thing really encourages people to be turned on, perhaps by something that they'd, they'd not considered reading before. So, um, And we also have Case Files, the second uh, publication that goes out. And that's bi-monthly. And that is specifically authors responding to particular interview questions, uh, writing about their book and about their lives. And that's absolutely fascinating. To, to get to both of those, you just go to the CRA site, which is thecra.co.uk. But also for readers, just popping back onto, um, well, it's on the CRA site, but also on the CWA site, which is uh, the CWA CWA.co.uk. On there, um, there's a section called Find an Author Stroke Book, and it's a most fabulous search guide. And you can actually use it um, to find sub-genres and to identify books set uh, setting, perhaps a, a particular historical period or in a particular place or a particular kind of crime book as well as actually you know, finding up authors, perhaps if you'd read something by them a long time ago and you want to find out more, or if you can't quite remember all of their name, and hopefully the search will help you with that.
0: Wonderful, because sometimes you do just get a feeling where you're like, I kind of want to read something that's a bit like this writer, but not that writer, because I've read all their books and I want something new, but maybe this historical period or... This kind of protagonist. So, yeah, that sounds like a really good resource for all the readers. So, if there's listeners out there who aren't writers themselves, they're just like crime readers and big crime fans. It sounds like the Crime Readers Association is definitely a website for them to check out.
1: Yes, there's the CRA, and and I would suggest that you wander along and have a look at the CWA as well. There's more detail in the in that search resource that we were just talking about on the CWA site, and and there's lots of other things as well that we do. We do blogs for the debut people. We have the bookseller of the month, which is always interesting, especially if it happens to be in an area where you live or or work. Yeah, we we try, obviously, uh, you know, they're all about readers. When it comes down to it, yes, the association is for the writers, but what are the writers about? You know, they're all about writing stuff that we want people to read. So, yeah, everything is geared towards the reader. And we've got
0: social media. I'll put a link to those websites in the show notes for the podcast. So anybody listening can just click on the show notes and then click on the links to very quickly find you guys. That's all the questions I have. Is there anything that we haven't covered?
1: For the first time... This year, the daggers are open for self-nomination. If you're a published author, then you can nominate your own book. Previously, it's always had to be a publisher that does it, but now we've made it so that the writers themselves can nominate. If you're traditionally published, that's pretty straightforward. That's easy, and you'll be able to go onto the site and, and work out what to do. If you're a self-published author, then you can still nominate, but only if you're a member of the Crime Writers Association. And so you might want to look at uh, doing that, those certain plenty of benefits. And at the moment, it's such an affordable rate. You know, it's only uh, £55 a year if you just take the monthly magazine in a digital format and £65 if you have a printed copy delivered to your letterbox. I would really recommend that if you're self-published and you really want to sort of push your books, then join the CWA and consider nominating your book for a dagger. It's open now. It's open for the books published in the first half of the year up until the end of July and then for the second half of the year up until the end of November. And all the details are, again, obviously on the CWA website. But this is quite different for us, and it's come about because last year, for the first time, we admitted self-published authors as members about time to. But it's come out of that because, obviously, it's a logical progression, isn't it? If And self-published authors obviously haven't got a publisher, in the traditional sense, to nominate their book. So they need to nominate it themselves. And of course they're thinking, most, well, if a self-published author can nominate their book, then traditionally published authors to be able to as well. So so that's how it's come about. But that's brand new for this year. So that's daggers twenty twenty three, even though it's the, the books published this year and nominated this year. And the other piece of good news that goes with that is that we also have, have prizes. Uh money, uh, which is the first time for many, many years and that they've been associated uh, with the Daggers. That's really good news and uh, another reason for having a look at the CWA website, perhaps.
0: Because I I think when self-publishing first happened a lot of people were a bit snobby about it, sort of looked down on the self-published author but it's come a huge way since the beginning of self-publishing and you can get very professional looking books and of course some people have crossed over from self-publishing to having uh publishing contracts with some major houses
1: on the other way around don't forget too you know that that people have been traditionally published and now gone on to to self-publish very successfully it happens both ways around and, and yeah, that's, that's what the CWA is about, professionalism. If you're self-published and you apply, you know, we do need you to tick a few boxes, but it is all aimed at finding writers who are professional about what they do, which I think is fair enough. But yeah, it has changed enormously, hasn't it? I run an editorial consultancy completely separate from the CWA called Fiction Feedback. I established it in 2008. Pretty much then, all my, all my customers uh, were writers who wanted to be traditionally published in some cases went on to be self-published and now we've got far more I mean an awful lot still do go on to get the term traditional deals which is great but an awful lot more are intent on getting uh, professional help for their book in terms of editing and so on so that they can self-publish successfully and I think that's been really interesting to see from that particular viewpoint how things have evolved in the self-publishing world.
0: Yeah I estimate I do admire self-published writers because i think the sheer amount of work that goes into self-publishing and then even when the book's published there's a huge amount of work in marketing and pushing it and getting people Mm. click that button but it's a little overwhelming when i think about it i have to say
1: i yes i I must say i i I mean it's, it's outside the scope of this interview perhaps but but that is the big thing um is actually doing the marketing it's all very well having the book there and having spent years of your life perhaps on it and an awful lot of money invested in it too in terms of the editing and the book cover and and the actual production but if you don't do the marketing right then you've got to be very lucky and not everybody is
0: yeah it really is it's tough out there for writers i think there's a lot of great writing and uh people can only read one book at a time (laughs) as well
1: <laughs> no that's not true no no i listen on audible <laughs> i read on my Kindle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i do actually um i'm dyslexic and i actually find a lot of non-fiction very difficult to read partly because of the way it's printed it's often printed with much smaller fonts and mm. particularly if it's a font like times new roman that's not easy for me to read at all so i tend to listen to non-fiction which I'll just do as I'm doing my housework or walking around. But I tend to read on the Kindle or physical copy for my fiction. And I think that's another great thing that's happened with books is having lots of different formats means it opens up a world of books. I certainly would not have read half as much nonfiction if it wasn't for people like Audible.
1: It's time with me, I must admit, mainly. Um, I just really struggle to find the time to sit down with a book, whether it's physical or on Kindle. So when the, you know, gag long lists come out, for example, then I'm always very keen to to have a look at those books there and and to to download them. To give them a listen.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us, Dee. It's been really interesting to hear a bit more about the CWA, but also just chatting about crime in general and (laughs) um, sort of where the boundaries lie with mystery and looking at sort of the resurgence of the 1930s is a really interesting sort of historical period people are mining at the moment Mm. so thank you very much for your time and coming up
1: pleasure absolute pleasure thank you very much for giving me the opportunity